My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. Christ is risen. This morning I'm going to be preaching out of a portion of the text that we heard read from the book of Revelation chapter 1, particularly verses 4 through 8. The title of my sermon this morning is Love, Freedom, and the Priestly Kingdom. It's interesting that the Western Church in our liturgical... Uh, liturgical calendar in, in our lectionaries, we actually get large chunks of the book of Revelation. Uh, but there are uh, our, our Eastern brothers, Christian brothers and sisters don't actually really have many readings from Revelation at all. So it's, it's interesting that, uh, that we have large portions of it in our readings uh, on Sunday. And I thought I would preach on um, this one this morning. And due to lots of baggage, we think that Revelation is all about uh, destruction. We think it's all about destruction because of, you know, Christian uh, representation in, in popular media with, with movies like Left Behind and, and the Left Behind book series. And that's not new. That stuff stretches back to the 1970s with like the late great planet Earth. And it stretches even further back to that with um, the fringe group of, of, of Christians who had these really weird theological ideas that get filtered through a whole bunch of different things we don't have the time to talk about, which makes Revelation seem like a book of destruction when it's really not. The, the, the title, well the word revelation itself comes from the Greek word which we get the word apocalypse from. And apocalypse is, also doesn't mean destruction. The word apocalypse means an unveiling or a revealing. Hence the, the, the Latin name of the book where we get revelation from. Revelation is not about death and destruction. It's about the unveiling, the revealing of Jesus Christ. Revealing him as certain things, which we'll talk about this morning, and what he does. Now, Easter morning, the resurrection of Christ, we see him unveiled in his glory at the resurrection in the empty tomb and his appearance that we heard read this morning to the apostles. They're gathered in the room, scared, and he appears among them. And what does he say? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But here in Revelation, we see that even fuller as he appears in glory before St. John the Apostle, who at this point in his life is a very old man in exile on the island of Patmos. And church tradition says that the Romans tried to kill him many different times, and each time uh, did not succeed, and so they didn't really know what to do with him. So they exiled him to this small little island out in the middle of nowhere. And then this is where he has the vision on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday. So with that in mind, let's turn to the text itself. St. John says that Jesus Christ, in verse 5, he says, The faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the rulers of the kings on earth. So this first one, faithful witness, witness comes from the word where we get martyr from, in Greek, martis. So a, a witness 
in the, the biblical sense, isn't like a witness in the sense of we're having a court case and uh, um, Riley got arrested stealing a packet of candy and Sophia was with her, so now Sophia needs to come up and testify because she's a witness to the crime, right? Sorry, you're Amara, not Sophia. I'm sorry. I get mixed up sometimes. That's not witness in, in this context. Witness in the sense of demonstrating by your action, testifying to something. Not necessarily a standing in the dock, giving evidence. So Jesus is the faithful witness in the sense that his pattern of living and dying has laid out for his followers how they are to follow in his stead. And this is a major theme in Revelation because to follow after Jesus, to witness to Jesus, sometimes mean for his followers that we will have to participate in a death like his and that his death is the cross. And in this context of Revelation, there has been sporadic periods and times of persecution of the early Christians at this moment in history. But Jesus is the faithful witness. He also says that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. This is an easy one, right? This title is easy because last Sunday we just celebrated Easter. And the resurrection of Jesus where he destroyed sin's rule over us and he destroys the power of death. St. Paul writes in Colossians 1.18 and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. So Jesus as the firstborn of the dead is the one who rises from death first bringing with him the promise of the coming resurrection of those who follow him. And then St. John says that Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. The ruler of the kings of the earth. Which should make us think of Colossians 1 verses 16 through 17 which says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Lots of... Some teachers and theologians and, and, and really bad scholars will say things like, well, Jesus wasn't really worshipped by the early Christians. They didn't really think he was God in human flesh. They just thought he was a really good teacher. They didn't think he was God. They didn't worship him. They didn't do anything like that. Well, texts like this and, and this and like what we heard in Colossians testified to something completely different. St. Paul is saying in that Colossians text that Jesus is the one through whom the Father created everything. And all things were not just created by him. They were also created through him. And he is before all things. And everything that exists is held together by Christ. So if this is the case, then St. John is saying that those who claim to be the rulers of the world are in fact not the rulers of the world because the true ruler of everything, the true ruler of everyone, is actually the risen Christ. And this is important for his listeners, brothers and sisters, because who is the ruler of the earth at the time that John is writing the book of Revelation? Well, the Roman emperors, one of the Caesars. 
We're not sure which one he's being referred to. It could be Nero, it could be Domitian, we're not 100% sure. But the emperor of Rome was the ruler of the world. So St. John is telling them, it might look like the emperor of Rome is the ruler of the world, but there's actually somebody who sits above him. And that is Jesus Christ. Which is why we get the imagery of how he appears to John in the reading that we just heard this morning. So Jesus is the ruler of the rulers. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. And this is true not just of the kings of the earth, but Jesus is also over all the spiritual rulers and authorities that have been lying and subjugating humanity. So all of these three titles are important for Jesus because... They tie in directly with what St. John says in this doxology that immediately follows these titles and are the inspiration for the doxology itself. A doxology is an expression of praise of glory to God. And the doxology here is to him be glory and dominion forever. So with these three titles in mind, John then shifts in this doxology to three things that Jesus has done for us. In verses uh, 5 and 6, he says, To him who loves us, has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us a kingdom priests to his God and Father. Right? So three accomplishments of Jesus. Number one, he loves us. The cross is an act of love, not of divine coercion. On Good Friday, I preached about how the cross is Jesus' self-giving of himself. I would highly recommend you go back and listen to that. We talked a little bit about God's wrath, what that is. Jesus loves us. In Galatians 2.20, St. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The cross is an act of love. John 3, 16 to 17. We know this one. We see it at the baseball games, football games. Somebody always lifts it up. And the camera always gets it. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Church Father St. Athanasius, reflecting on the love of Jesus, says, For in both ways the Savior exercised his love for human beings through his incarnation, that's his coming in the flesh, and that he both banished death from us and renewed us, and also, and that although being unseen and invisible, through his works he appeared and made himself known to be the word of the Father, the ruler and king of the universe. That Jesus' love... Through the cross and the resurrection, he has banished death from us and renewed us. Christ's love for us then, brothers and sisters, led him to the cross. And we are to respond to his love in that same love directed towards him and towards one another. Then St. John says that, that Jesus has freed us from sin through his blood. Hebrews 9.22 says, Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. 
Now this isn't because God is bloodthirsty, right? It's not, like, <laughs> it's not like God is in heaven and it's like, I am really angry and the only thing that's really going to make me not angry anymore is I really need something to die. Uh, kill that cow and like take its blood and sprinkle it all over the place. That's the only way to calm me down. That's not what the shedding of blood is referring to in the scriptures, right? That's a caricature of what the sacrificial system was all about. God is not bloodthirsty. The blood of the animals that was shed is symbolic of death. Death is the cessation of life because, Scripture reminds us, life is in the what? The blood. Jesus shedding his blood is his voluntary giving of his life for us. His undergoing death for us. Right? And we have to remember, he frees us from sin through his blood. Right? Sin is not a, fail, a failure to, to reach our hidden human potential. Right? Sin is very real and has power over us. Sin is not... It's not merely systems of, 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 of um, human abuse and political structures, right? There's, a, there's a, been a huge turn to that. Well, that's actually sin, is these political things that we've created and these systemic things we've created. That's sin. No, sin is something completely different. Sin is a very real spiritual power that has infected and affected all of humanity. And, and Jesus breaks that power through offering himself on our behalf. And this is powerful because Jesus is the only sinless one. But death is the wages of sin. So Jesus experiences the penalty, the punishment of those who have sinned. But he himself had not sinned. So when the one who is sinless and who is divine freely dies without sin, then that means sin is broken on those who die in him. So we learn from this that sin no longer binds us. And we have been delivered from the power of our sins that continue to try to grab onto us. So we need to learn to live in that reality. He has then also made us a kingdom of priests. St. John says. What is this talking about? Well, in the book of Exodus, chapter 19, God says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is mine. And listen to this. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Right, so in the book of Exodus, Jesus says, or Jesus, the, the, the Father says to Moses, right, if you obey me, you and all the people, you will all be a kingdom of priests. So then we have to ask ourselves, well, what do priests do? Well, priests serve God. God is going to unite all the people to himself. So they can be a nation of people who are all sanctified to fulfill God's purposes and plans in the earth. That's what priests do. The question then is, does this mean that since they're all priests to God, that there is no need for priestly worship? 
Well, no, right? Because right after God says this, a few, like in this very long conversation he has with Moses, God then says, okay, you are a nation of priests. Now you need to select out of this nation of priests those who are going to lead them in worship. And this is how I want you to do it. And that basic structure is the pattern for Christian worship to this day. And St. Peter actually picks up on this language of a priesthood in, the, in his own little epistle, 1 Peter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As priests... We are all tasked with proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of the darkness. And so, because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the rulers of the kings of the earth, he has loved us, he has freed us, and he has made us a kingdom of priests in service to him. So let us then, brothers and sisters, live in his kingdom, which is still yet to come, right? We heard in the, in the reading from Revelation, it said that when he returns, it will be visible. And it says, all who have seen him, even uh, all those who pierced him, will see him and wail. We're going to confess the Apostles' Creed in just a second. And we confess he will come again in glory to judge the living or the quick and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. What began on Easter is something that's continually being unveiled to us and in us and through us. So let us live in his coming kingdom even as we await its fullness. Let us be faithful witnesses since we are promised life in the age to come. Let us then serve the ruler of the kings of the earth with the love and gratitude and the thanksgiving that we owe to him, that is due to him for all he's done for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have a few minutes, I'd ask you to go to GoFundMe.com slash Zion's Stone Church Repair Fund. We have some significant repair work that we need to do on our bell tower, as well as some repair work due to a recent lightning strike. Anything you'd be able to help us out with, we would greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to get a hold of me or you have any questions about what you've heard, feel free to reach out at our Facebook page, Zionstone UCC, or you can check us out on our website, ZionstoneUCC.com. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.